listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? Uh, I am feeling multitasky. <laughs> there is a lot on the go. We're recording this in kind of the just the end of November, the run up to the holidays for Canada. Yeah, I'm know. being a little more and, selfish here. I'm like looking at we've got a couple of recordings stacked back to back, and I'm like, can I order um, food via food app and have it delivered in, in this small ten minute window? <laughs> that I, so anyway, That's... I'm, I'm going to. Uh, what, so what our listeners don't know is I'm going to be trying to make that happen here over the next uh, <laughs> half point, hour and yeah. see if it works. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it'll be fun. But it's, look, it is good to be chatting again today. Yeah. And I'm excited for today's show. I think um, I always um, I, I like when we um, maybe go down some different topic areas where we haven't been before that are yeah. a little bit more nuanced. And I think that uh, maybe describes today's show. It's certainly going to be true about what we're discussing today. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I think... Certainly, we, we talk with a, a lot of marketers and a number of sales folks, but don't necessarily think about it in the way that our guest is uh, is going to be approaching it. So yeah. um, looking forward to the conversation. So joining us today is Ken Novak, and Ken is the president of Hatch Quantified. Welcome to the Cooler Ring, Ken. Jeff, Carmen, thanks for having me. I'm glad you could be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Ken, what is, uh, what's Hatch Quantified? Tell us about that. I would love to. What a great way to start. You're going to start with me. I appreciate that, fellas. Um, <laughs> it's all about yeah. you. Oh, boy. Don't tell my wife that. Um, yeah, Hatch Quantified. It is my passion. Uh, it is something that I started up, and it really goes back to a, um, a representation of what I've done over the course of my career. Um, I'll give you a quick backstory here. Um, the front half of my career was on the consulting side of digital strategy managing very large global Fortune 500 accounts. Um, and the traditional agency model, I believe, is ripe for some disruption. And I say that because of the second half of my career. The second half of my career, um, I was leading global strategy execution inside of a Fortune 500 manufacturing company. Um, and what I learned over the, and, and there's, there's a lot of operational takeaways and, and learnings that I acquired um, over the course of time. But one of the things that made me realize that the uh, model of consulting and billable hours, for instance, is ready for a little bit of a shakeup is the fact that um, manufacturers and distributors and clients in general the key part to any sequence of strategy development and execution comes down to the ability of the partner and the brand to really do a good job of discovery, right? And discovery is a really painful process. 70% of all of the man and woman hours dedicated to any strategy execution should be spent in discovery. And I, I want to put a little bit of a spotlight on this. Because discovery, design, develop, deploy, that's just what I talk about. Every agency kind of has their own sequence of events and handoffs from start to finish. They're almost all multiple D um, sequences. <laughs> right? Our right? special 4D oh, process. I yeah, no, I, I wasn't going to say anything, but uh, okay. okay. But it's true, though. I mean, there's a lot of sameness there in yeah, how that's yeah. kind of brought to market. It's by important these to be self aware. 
Yeah. And it's either, I mean, it, let's go down that path for a second, because it seems like they're all like a concentric circle where they all self-feed each other, or it's a fishbone chart, and it's a pretty picture. It's like, it's all the same thing, right? And here's what ties all of it together, though, is when I was doing consulting, it was really unfulfilling because the way that I would go about scoping and, and billing clients for work, when we got into the design part of the process, there was a lot of creative iteration, iteration after iteration after iteration. And it caused a lot of friction in those relationships. And I never quite understood why was that iteration happening, but it was only because you're just learning stuff in the middle of the design process you should have known before you even started, right? So what I've done with Hatch is I want to mitigate and, and take out some of that conflict, that that conflict of interest, the friction between consulting and brand, because clients don't aren't going to pay you to learn their business, and agencies aren't going to sit top billing talent inside of a brand for three months, go learn their business, and on the way out, hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll get some business. Agencies don't work like that either, right? So what's really important for clients is that all of the risk is on them. It's on them in hopes that they're going to get the deliverable and the outcomes that they're investing in. And in order to do that, um, what I've created with Hatch is just a, it's a different methodology and process that mitigates that risk of clients by creating and delivering operationally viable deliverables. At the end of the day, no one cares about strategy. Strategy is meaningless without execution. And that's where Hatch specializes, helping organizations digitally transform by creating operational roadmaps of which sequence of events and which sequence of capabilities need to be developed most cost efficiently based on your current individual unique um, current position. And that's the key. You've already made investments in different platforms and technologies and, and teams and that's gonna be custom to you. You may be more evolved in certain capabilities versus others, great. But what we have to do is we have to figure out the most cost efficient way to get started to eat this elephant because that's the hardest part, especially in industrial. When you're talking about operational headwinds of people, process, and technology, every organization has um, a different level of fidelity or maturity levels in regards to all three of those. Hatch is meant to, circumvent some of those operational challenges well i find myself largely in violent agreement and i just um which doesn't make for an interesting show at all frankly. Um, <laughs> i can be a lot more here. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry uh, no, no, I, uh, I do want to um uh look i i I, I would have an endless appetite to um, to probably talk about the disruption of uh, of the agency landscape. It's certainly something. I mean, even um, if you just want to talk about the removal of billable hours as a metric. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, as an agency, we haven't sold an hour in a decade. You know, and um, so uh, so you know, I, like I say, I'm kind of completely picking up what you're putting down. Uh, I just uh, uh, I'm. I'm just aware that the three of us may be more agency geek than uh, than our listeners. Yeah. But I am curious about um, kind of going this one step further because I know that this approach that you bring to this can 
is about this contrasting of the feeling brain and the thinking brain. And you put a lot of emphasis on that in your work, and it's certainly uh, highlighted on the site. So how does how does that come into your your methodology and and, and delivery? Mm-hmm. Um, great great question because this is part of the different approach um, to this because and it's also uh, fed through because of my uh, oddly enough my collegiate career and my degree very strange degree is in rhetoric. Don't know anyone else that's ever had a rhetoric degree from college, but a little self-promotion. I was also part of the National Honor Society for all of the five rhetoricians that graduated uh, with that piece (laughs) of paper over the course of my uh, collegiate academia career. Um, But during my uh, um, time at university, I learned a lot about philosophy and psychology. And a rhetorician's job is to carefully select a specific sequence of words in hopes for their audience to take action, right? And rhetoric is defined as the Greek art of persuasion. I'm leaning into that part of the conversation here because when you talk about specific sets of words uh, to incite an action with an audience, you're talking about sales and marketing, right? And when we talk about the feeling brain and the thinking brain, what is critically important is that there's a lot of psychology behind all of this. So when you're crafting these these strategies and executing strategy, you have to play into and understand the individual audience's needs, drivers, motivators, challenges, day-to-day operations and frustrations in order for you to carve out and create a differentiated, and that's key, what can you say no one else can, message that's going to stand out in the marketplace. So I lean into this, this, the the essence and the sense of psychology and its role in marketing communications and digital to make sure that you're appealing to the psychology and the psychological needs of the people you're trying to connect with. Um, So when we talk about thinking brain and feeling brain, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, My family and I have got two girls and we went on a road trip. Okay. And when we talk about thinking brain and feeling brain, your, your thinking brain, that was my traditional or, or my uh, upbringing. I was really good on the thinking brain side. You can ask my wife. My wife's a mental health therapist. I was not very evolved on the feeling brain side of my head. Um, and what I, what, I ble- what I believed was that this thinking brain, I could navigate through logic any situation. And the feeling brain's role is to control things like emotion and abstract um, process, language, right? Uh, And each one of these two different sides of the brains have different roles and functions that they serve humans for. Um, That thinking brain, logic, math, um, feeling brain, emotions, language, abstract, right? Um, So we're we're on this road trip, and my seven-year-old was getting a little feisty. She was picking at older sister, dad, I'm driving, I've got the radio on, I'm all thinking brain and we're cruising um, down the road. My wife picks up with her feeling brain about what's going on in the back seat. Dad is just locked down mode, right? I'm not even hearing anything that that, that is going on. And what happened was little one was getting uh, frustrated and tired and want to get out of the car. I'm like, no, we're going to get there. We'll be there in a couple hours. Picks on the older one. Frustration happens in the back, extends up to my wife. 
Dad's the last one to feel it. And that feeling brain, when that kicks in, it's meant to mitigate or uh, suppress, protect the body from any discomfort, right? And we're all hardwired with these two sides of our brains. These two sides of our brains are hardwired and have evolved over the course of time. And that feeling brain um, controls a very specific and critically important part of human existence, which is emotion. My point in the story is that during this process of, of, this, of this road trip, thinking brain was in 100% control, focused on the road, going to get us there at a good time. We'll get there, we'll get lunch, we'll be all good. We're not going to deal with any of that feeling brain stuff. And then what happened was, eventually, when that frustration started with the seven-year-old, went to older sister, got to my wife, dad was the last one that felt that pressure coming from my wife because she was getting frustrated with what's going on in the back seat. She was the one that had to deal with it. So what did we do? We pulled over and we took a break and all that. And it was all because I just didn't, I, I couldn't, that, that, that frustration of, of trying to protect was something that I was trying to avoid. And then I just leaned into that because eventually that's what controlled my behavior. And that's the other key bit here. Thinking brain, feeling brain, not just emotion is controlled by the feeling brain, but most importantly, behavior. And that's the connection to any of this digital engagement we're talking about with, with manufacturers and distributors and engineers. And they're, they're motivated and you've got to make sure you connect with the feeling brain side of their heads so that you get the behavior that they want to achieve. And oh, by the way, your business needs them to achieve. So what I do with Hatch is I take a very specific approach to make sure that we are crafting our engagements and our strategies revolving around external people. This is a digital transformation is not about technology, it's about people. And what Hatch does is craft operational roadmaps and strategies and tactics and deliverables all focused around the people of your business, starting with your customers and, and, and pushing that information into the corporation to set um, business requirements. You have to change from the outside in. Give people what they want on the outside. Financial growth and outcomes that you seek are a natural byproduct, but it's really hard. It is really hard to change long-standing, decades-long operational processes with technologies that have been that aren't really meant for today's world. So we got to make sure that, that we that we achieve what customers want on the outside while mitigating and minimizing the pain that happens inside. I, I don't want to lose sight of this feeling, brain, thinking, brain. Try to think through how it's instructive to marketers. I, mean, I think it's. Um, I, I suppose in some ways it's quite easy to see how it impacts uh, you know, copy direction, messaging strategy, and things mm. of that sort at various um, areas, and that, how that may even uh, impact creative direction. Um, it certainly impacts overall. messaging. I mean, yeah. you know, it rhetoric is is the entire art of how you how you message those things and and how you choose to kind of put them together. I mean. You know, I, I was lucky to study rhetoric as well and semiotics as part of my design degree. So I have books and books of rhetorical tropes and how those things come alive through visual communication. But, uh, you know, there, there aren't many of us um, who kind of understand that when you're when you're putting that together from a messaging perspective. But 
yeah, I, I think it's well. That's it's why really I'm trying to operationalize it in some way for today's listeners is to to say, you know, what's the practical instruction here? Um, How do they bring it to life with it? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I appreciate that the feeling brain and thinking brain exists. Um, I see how that can uh, impact copy, messaging, creative direction. Um, it, it's funny though because we've seen that in the world of marketing, the, this kind of the, the next extension of this is kind of almost like neurological marketing, right? Like we can we can uh, you know, see what uh, tr- things were triggering in people's minds based upon messaging that were mm. uh, transmitting, etc., and, and then. Uh, get some level of predictability about the success of that creative or that execution. And I just call BS on that so hard. I just don't think that, I don't think we can be decoded quite that easily. That that far? Yeah, I don't know. Um, uh, so I, I'm kind of wondering where the intersection of that <laughs> is with um, this feeling brain, thinking brain discussion. So the the feeling brain piece of the conversation, obviously, is more conceptual just by definition, right? So maybe let's go on that thinking side of the brain. We'll get a little more tactical. We'll get a little more structured. We'll, we'll, we'll start to paint some operational processes or pictures that people can start to visualize as they're listening throughout the, the podcast, right? Um, so we'll get very tactical. We'll talk about manufacturers, distributors, industrial engineers. Um, one of the easiest ways, the best ways that, that Hatch operates to help organizations start to get that transformation. Remember, your internal business requirements need to be set, defined, most importantly, prioritized by the needs of the people you're trying to influence and, and mold your um, organization around, your customers, okay? Um, industrial engineers when they're not shopping for industrial products, they have very, very high uh, e-commerce digital expectations that have largely been set when they have their consumer head on their head, right? And what Hatch has done is we've created a list of over 110 different usability criteria for industrial engineers and what they need from industrial websites, okay? We do a super deep dive analysis of an organization's digital abilities to convert in um, traffic into meaningful conversions based on the wants and needs and feeling brains of those engineers because that's what they that's what they seek. And as we know, a lot of these organizations, so many industrial companies websites are struggling, right? It hasn't been in, it hasn't been a core part of the organization's maturity, and when you have um, and look, they, they, industrial organizations have grown over the years without digital, right? They haven't had to invest, and I don't want to speak kindly of COVID for obvious reasons, but in our collective space, couldn't have come at a better time because it finally forced a lot of these organizations to really have that have some difficult internal conversations, look themselves in the mirror and really try to identify. Because when belly to belly sales went away, there wasn't a plan B. Digital is that plan B. And oh, by the way, this is something that their customers have been pushing upon them for a very long time, but they haven't had to invest. Now they're starting to. They're starting to, 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 to migrate from the path that they were to make sure that they have the capabilities to um, 
that their customers want and need so that they can retain market share. They have a lot of options. Engineers can go to a variety of places out there. But when you have an engagement on your website, it is the most important piece of digital real estate you own as a brand. It is the one digital experience where you have 100% um, control and responsibility of that experience of a customer going from product selection to fulfillment. And you better get that right. Customers don't, they, they, they know that they can shop elsewhere if your taxonomy and your attributes are not um, sufficient for them to, to uh, select and identify the product they need for their application, or if your search functionality doesn't help them find those part numbers, they'll bounce. They'll go to some of these large, what I call horizontal marketplaces, very, very wide array of industrial products meant to target a very, very wide array of applications and industries. Those organizations that we all know, they've crushed that. That product selection piece, manufacturers have the content that everybody wants. You better make sure that you're presenting that content as efficiently as possible to access part numbers. People buy parts. Get them to those part number pages, and you got to make sure that you are that your page um, that your pages are set up in a way that you get to convert them into meaningful buying actions. Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download the sample manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly slash sample ABM. That's B-I-T slash sample ABM. I think too, I mean, there, there's certainly been a, you know, a, uh, a prevalence within the manufacturing sales community to, you know, pre-COVID, as you were saying, you know, it, a lot of that was happening. They were walking the halls of existing accounts and looking for those opportunities, mm -hmm. you know, cozying up to the engineers that they knew, getting introduced to the ones they didn't. And that was how business was done. It was expanding existing accounts, you know, through uh, through personal relationships. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how, I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more about, you know, making those, uh, you know, those product pages work harder, you know, finding better ways for conversion, understanding where people are in that process and, you know, getting that in front of them. How have you seen some of these sales teams adopt um, more COVID-friendly kind of ways of working? How, how have you, and I, I certainly like the idea, you know, we talk a, a lot here about, you know, starting from the money and working back. Mm -hmm. you know, so mm -hmm. from, the, from the existing sales and, and work backwards to, uh, to the awareness phase or the yep. awareness stage. How are you bringing that to life in, in the context of, of uh, thinking about how engineers are buying? Yep, great, great question. And I could not agree more, by the way, by working uh, from the outcome backwards, <laughs> because that, that is the most efficient way and you can tailor and, and refine your process um, uh, more efficiently that way. So I love hearing that. Um, so for an existing client, for instance, 
the process that, that we go through at Hatch is when we do the deep dive analysis of identifying all the, the all of the recommendations that need to uh, be um, achieved on your website to close CX gaps, right? That's not the hard part, right? There's so many people out there that can identify, well, an uh, existing client, for instance, um, during the checkout process for a guest user, you can't have a PO number as required field. Doesn't make sense. I'm not logged in. If I found you on Google by typing in part number ABC123, I find your product page, I add it to my cart, I go to checkout, and then I hit a brick wall. <laughs> That's no good. You can't do that, right? So coming out of that CX assessment by identifying all of the recommendations that uh, in, in CX gaps that you're uh, giving to your, your customers, here's the secret sauce. And here's what has to happen is you've got to prioritize all of those things that can be easily executed. And we go through a, a, a process sitting with the operators, platform owners, executive team members, where we roll out the scroll of all the recommendations and we get everybody, sales, marketing, IT, customer service, inside sales, warehouse, involved in the process. And we score all of these recommendations, value to the business, value to the customer, and most importantly, level of effort, right? Tactically, here's the outcomes. Uh, client wants to do Bopus and Ropus, buy online, pick up in store, reserve online, pick up in store. But there is no way any of their platforms and POS systems and ERP data is ready to have that kind of capability. So where do you start? Recommendation number one, turn off PO as a requirement for guest users, right? Every single time I do this exercise, there's always a list of things that you can get done that is super high value to the business, super high value to the customer, and is a low light lift. What are we talking about? Go start there. Some of these tactical recommendations that came out for a recent client would be turn off POs for guest users, um, turn on chat. That's an easy thing to say, but what are the activities behind that? In order for me to turn on chat, I need to really do two things. I have to find out and identify all of the people in my various customer service departments that are going to be um, available on chat or for what schedule. That work didn't get done. Guess how long that takes? It was done in under a month. Chat is one of the most important pieces in industrial experiences because it gives engineers an opportunity to connect with, a, with a, another engineer that can help them source and identify and troubleshoot their application and products. And that's how people want to engage. Don't send an email that goes into a black hole. Don't show them a poor digital experience in hopes that they solve it on their own. And most importantly, avoid cost eventually by avoiding those incoming phone calls. Every single incoming phone call to a customer service department costs you $8, eight bucks. In a past life of mine, this is, and, and this is a really interesting stat, seven out of 10 incoming phone calls to customer service departments in industrial are to ask the exact same question. And that question is, what's the status of my order? 
That is mind-boggling to me because there are thousands and thousands and thousands of $8 phone calls coming into your customer service department every single year. And not only that, but it's a, my goodness, it's a, it's a problem that can be solved in a multitude of ways. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you have a, you have a bunch of options. expensively, usually, yeah, too. Yeah. yeah. And, and it can be solved in a way that gives you a competitive advantage, potentially. It can be solved, you know. <laughs> but and most importantly, it's table stakes. It's table stakes for customers. Yeah, exactly right. And those expectations as table stakes have been set by their B2C experiences. B2B organizations, the world is more complex. Data is more complex. Old, outdated, architected systems are more complex in B2B. But the requirement is the same for the customer. Give me that access, and oh, by the way, you avoid the cost on the back. I don't need to pick up the phone. You start migrating those behaviors. Feeling brain, right? Tap back into that feeling brain. Customers have told you for years that this is what they want and need. Avoid the cost by giving them what they want. Well, and of course, too, I mean, you're, you're not just benefiting your customers, but you're also freeing up, you know, those customer service representatives to do more and better and higher value work. That is such a great statement. So my existing, so client, customer service team of five people. So I, I just read a report actually the other day, Salesforce did a report that when you, that when you implement digital transformation and automation sequences inside of an organization, the, the net byproduct is a four hour per week per employee savings. Apply that to a customer service team of five, 20 hours, 48 week, work weeks a year is 900 and some hours. What they want to do with those, with those now time-saved hours is build out an inside sales function because that's what the customer service team members want to do. They don't want to field incoming phone calls for support and troubleshooting for things that customers should be able to do themselves on the web. They want to reallocate that time into prospecting and going out and actually building new business relationships. That's the key. And it scales. I'm curious because, of course, when we think about a, a, an example of um, you know, seven out of ten uh, calls coming into your call center for one question that you can get answered another way, you know, when you see something like that, it, it, you know, you don't you don't have to be the sharpest business mind in the in the world to say probably seems like it's a good idea for us to head down this path and, and fix this. So, is it lack of awareness? Do you feel? amongst your clients and prospects that uh, leads them to not have fixed this already? Or what else is standing in their way of addressing the, some of these core issues? Um, I, I'm, I'm engaging with a lot of uh, people in the space. And one thing, so when we talk about people process technology, right? The process and the technology sides of, uh, of that Venn diagram in the industrial space can be on a very, very wide spectrum. However, in most industrial organizations, it's that people um, lens that unites a lot of industrial organizations because that's where the biggest challenge and struggle is. Overworked, underexperienced team members in regards to digital transformation that have been there for a very long time, they don't have that experience because they haven't had to. It is so critical to have internal talent and knowledge and experience 
of providing and improving these experiences for their customers, but you only get that through experience. You only you can only identify cost-efficient ways of achieving that objective of customers leading to business outcomes when you've done it before. And what a lot of industrial organizations do, I mean, they're, they're built on margin, margin and volume. And one of the ways to make sure that you're increasing margin is to avoid costs and do it cheaper and less expensive, right? But you also get what you pay for. And when you have internal team members that they may not have that depth of experience that's needed to do an ERP configuration implementation, um, costs go up, timelines extend, and everybody gets frustrated. So are you suggesting it's often just a lack of... Um... A desire or willingness to bring in external expertise? Um, I, I was just engaged with a, uh, a, a partner of mine uh, that, that, that specializes in ERP implementations. And he made a great point because so many industrial corporations out there have, have done a version one, if you will, of a new ERP or a new e-commerce or a new fill in the blank, right? And that version one uh, that was created five, six, seven, eight years ago is still in place today. They did that on the cheap and it was really painful to start. And now what these organizations have realized through the process of COVID is that those implementations and capabilities that they have available to them, it is really inefficient and it, it, it is it is not what customers ultimately want. So I don't think it's not so much an appetite as it is a lack of understanding um, an appreciation of what to do about it. Think about what this means for the executive teams inside of manufacturing and industrial organizations whose stock price is doing fantastic, right? If the stock price is going up, I haven't really had that motivation to, to invest in closing these CX gaps. But what the organizations have not quite grasped yet is what is the opportunity cost over the course of time by making by making a by pushing your traffic to other digital sources for the same information that you, they should be going to you for I, i'll never understand this attitude of wanting to be you know people say, well customers aren't really asking for that yet <laughs> it's like oh well so you just don't have any interest in leading them at all you don't have any interest in being out in front you don't have any interest in and being driving a leader in your category, you just want to respond to the lowest common denominator. You're going to wait until the market tells you via a share price drop that you need to get your uh, get busy living and, with ecom. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 I just never understand that uh, because it's, they don't take that um, uh, same approach in other areas of their business. Manufacturers. You know, often you know maybe invest proactively in uh, new equipment to try to get an edge over competition, etc. They'll they'll hedge some bets, yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> but uh, but then this notion of wait, well, the customers aren't quite asking for it yet. This is a, <laughs> it kills me every time. Yeah, yeah. So one, one last thought here. One of the other things that, that we do because I, I think you're touched on something really important is that in the industrial space, what I see a lot of um, uh, similarity in is the reactive nature of the organizations to actually adopt and change, right? If they see an external competitor or threat to their business doing something, that motivates them more than anything 
what customers say or internal uh, team members might say. Um, and, and when we do this analysis, we also make sure that we're picking out the best of the best. When I talk about those horizontal marketplaces that are defining those B2B digital experiences of industrial engineers, they're doing all of the things that uh, these engineers want and need. They've already funded it. They've already done the research. But most importantly, they've given you the roadmap. They've shown you all of the capabilities that your website needs to have to meet the heightened expectations of those customers. Look at advanced search. How many industrial organizations have crushed and just done a really bang on job of advanced search capabilities? If I start typing a part number, I should have an auto uh, dropdown that's happening that's showing me all the different part numbers that match that exact same thing as I'm typing in keystrokes. And I should be promoting maybe products that are on sale or kidding options or uh, the category that these part numbers are related to. Organizations don't do that. And it's all meant to save time. And when we talk about, and one last thought here is to make sure that you're, that when you look at the industrial space, a lot of your competitors probably aren't doing the, the stuff correctly either. But there's other um, marketplaces, for instance, that are getting the eyeballs that you want and need on your website and they're doing a really, really good job. And you see, I, I mean, I just saw uh, latest on Amazon Business, which is elephant in the room for a lot of distributors out there. They are, uh, I think, going to be, they are now seven times the size of Granger. Crazy. In the next two years or 10 times. I, I, I mean, it, it is insane what is happening. I think the next five to 10 years in the industrial space is going to be fascinating to watch. You're already starting to see a lot of the, um, acquisitions happening very similar to what you saw in uh, financial and in, in, in banks a while back. I think looking to those B2B marketplaces that speak more directly to the targets are, uh, it is an instructive um, uh, approach. Uh, you mentioned Amazon business and the point taken, but I, I do find that sometimes this conversation gets a little too bogged down in in the consumer side yeah b2c yeah. expectations coming over to b2b yeah. but that's the b2b really not expectations what we're, yeah. are there already yeah. and, and, mm -hmm. and 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 the, those expectations are being further defined and refined while um, you wait yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly right yeah. exactly right well uh, ken it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show had absolutely no idea where this would lead and yeah. uh, it's been a a uh, fun meandering conversation. I thank yeah. you for sharing your experience and expertise with us today. Thank you both for uh, the invitation and being great hosts. Look forward to joining you guys again. That would be great. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.